Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. I am your host, Tino Romero Jr., a.k.a. The Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode is a pretty trippy one. We are continuing with the animal attacks, but this one is a little bit different. It's not like your typical animal attack. And you run a graveyard. What do you mean? An animal attacks and animal attacks, right? Right. But no, wrong. So this one, today's episode is going to be about George Went Hensley. And for those of you who may not know who this individual is, you're about to. I kind of remember hearing a little bit of stories here and there when I was younger. And it, it never really weighed heavy on my mind. It never just had a, a special part in my brain to where I knew what it, it, it wasn't going to stay with me forever. So now that I'm doing my podcast and I have all these different crazy topics on here, I think this one's going to be a good one. So let's go ahead and get into it. Who is George Went Hensley? George Went Hensley was an American Pentecostal minister best known for popularizing the practice of snake handling. A native of rural Appalachia, Hensley experienced a religious conversation around 1910 on the basis of his interpretation of scripture. He came to believe that the New Testament commanded all Christians to handle venomous snakes. <laughs> he came to believe that the New Testament commanded all Christians to handle venomous snakes. Now, I don't know how many Christians I have listening to my show. I would, I would be shocked if I had any Christians, and I do appreciate the Christians and other religious individuals that, that do listen to my show. However, how do you feel saying that this individual, George Went Hensley, commanded that all Christians to handle venomous snakes or that he interpreted the, the New Testament as being commanded by all Christians to handle venomous snakes? Look, I live in Texas, all right? And there are venomous snakes pretty much anywhere and everywhere you can go. I mean, they're, they're not really just out there all sniggly, sliddering slitt slitt around. You know, they're not, yo, I'm right here, bro. They're not, they're not there, but they're there at the same time. You know, if you, if you leave your, your lawn overgrown for quite some time, you're going to have a snake. It might be a venomous one. It might not be. It just depends on how the snake is feeling that day. But when you go into rural parts of Texas, like, just the outskirts of Texas or certain parts of cities, even parks. Even if you go to a park, you'll probably come in contact with some sort of snake. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not a bitch or anything, but if I hear a rattler, just a rattling of rattlers, I'm not going to bend over and be like, Jeebus made me grab him. <laughs> and I'm not going to pick up and, and, and lift up Mr. Angry Boot Noodle Rattlesnake. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to get hit with a spicy bite just because Jeebus told me to pick up the snake. <laughs> Not going to happen. Look, man, I'm not a Christian. I'm not even religious. I'm, I'm atheist. And I don't even believe that that Jesus himself or, the, or any sort of testament is going to tell you to pick up a venomous snake. I don't think so. That's one sure way to go meet your maker, your supposed maker, right then and right now is pick up a, a venomous snake. Hensley was part of a large family that moved between Tennessee and Virginia before settling in Tennessee shortly after his birth. Following his conversion, he traveled through the southeastern United States, teaching a form of Pentecostalism that, that emphasized strict personal holiness and frequent contact with venomous snakes. Why? Listen, I know that people are always looking for that one savior, that one person to drive you past and, and have you reach supreme holiness and supreme oneness. I, I understand that. If, 
if people weren't yearning for that to help them guide them through their spiritual journey or their faith seeking adventure, I understand that. But why? Oh, why do people fall into the cult-like mindset? Don't get me, I mean, don't, don't get it twisted. This is, this is pretty much a cult. Anyone that tells you that, hey, if you follow me, you should be handling venomous snakes because that's what God said. And that's what I said. And God talks to me, so I'm going to talk to you. It's probably not a good sign, man. You probably might want to pull your application and your, your membership and then go, go ahead somewhere else. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. But hey, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you what makes sense or not. Hensley was arrested in Tennessee on moonshine-related charges during the Prohibition era and sentenced to a term in a workhouse from which he escaped and fled the state. He was never to be captured again. How are you going to escape a work whore, a workhouse and say, yo, I'm done, I'm out, and then never be caught again when there's people that can't even walk down the street who have never been in the workhouse and were arrested <laughs> and thrown right back into a place they'd never been before? That doesn't make any sense to me. Hensley traveled to Ohio where he held revival services, though he and his family rarely stayed long in one location. He established churches known as the Church of God with signs following in Tennessee and Kentucky. What the fuck does that mean, with signs following? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a pastor or if your person in charge has a difficult time staying in one location, there might be something wrong, bro. There, there's probably not somebody you want to follow if their following keeps unfollowing to go follow somewhere else. You, you, you're picking up what I'm putting down right now. It's like if, if, if my pastor has to relocate and have a re-re-re-re-rebirth every single time, then that's probably not the individual I want to follow. I mean, I want to, I, I want to follow someone that's well-established, and every other day they're not going to have a rebirth. I mean, by the time, you know, the end of the year hits, they've had 12 re-re-re-re-re-rebirths. You know what I mean? No. Let's follow, let's just, I mean, don't follow this guy at all. I mean, don't, that, I'm, that's not what I'm telling you. However, if, oh boy, I, tell, I don't know what I'm telling you. Let's continue. His services ranged from small meetings held in houses to large gatherings that drew media attention and hundreds of attendees. Although he conducted many services, he made little money and he was arrested for violating laws against snake handling at least twice. Yes, snake handling is, is illegal. Well, not just regular snake handling. Venomous snake handling is illegal, especially when you're roughing and a toughing on them and they're not, they're not going to be happy. You're not going to have this... this, this fucking 10 pound monster rattlesnake that's going to sit there and say, Hey, shake my tail. It's, it's, it's a church going time. And you're not going to sit there and be like, and the state's going to be smiling about it. You have people hollering and a bouncing and the Holy ghost is a, is a hidden and the snake's getting twisted and prod and bounced. It's not going to be happy. Hell there's, there's people who don't even want to be touched. What makes you think a wild animal is going to want to be touched? That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not copacetic, man. It's not. Let's just, let's just put the wild animals down, get some maracas and shake those around, paint a little, little snake face on them. And there you go. Adapt and overcome. That, that's just how it goes. During his ministry, Hensley claimed to have been bitten by many snakes without ill effect. And toward the end of his career, he estimated that he survived more than 400 bites. Bullshit. Bullshit. I, mean, I call bullshit. You can't be bit more than 400 times by a real venomous snake. There's no, there's absolutely no goddamn way. 
at all possible that someone is going to survive 400 bites of snakes. Now, if it was like 400 boa constrictor bites or or something like that, a gardener snake or a gardener, a garter snake, or I, I think that's what it's called. Then I can understand being bit 400 times, even by a gopher snake, a rat snake, any sort of snake that's not going to have venom in it, that isn't going to have a spicy bite, a spicy bite, a spicy bite, <laughs> a spicy bite, then yeah, you're going to survive, but you're not in no goddamn hell way survive no goddamn venomous bites. Get out of here with that bullshit. But then again, see, that that's what blows my mind is that common sense tells you. Common sense tells you that there's no way Absolutely no way that someone is going to be able to survive so many bites from a venomous reptile and live to tell the goddamn story. But you have these people who are so gullible, so badly yearning for someone to take charge and tell them what to do, think, and how to believe that they believe this shit and continue following this madman. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's crazy the mentality of cult. The cult mentality is so bizarre to me that it interests me. It's, oh my gosh. Despite his personal failings, he convinced many residents of rural Appalachia that snake handling was commanded by God and his followers continued the practice after his death. Come on now, why? Okay, look. It, It doesn't take someone of higher learning to understand that venomous snakes can kill people. That's why they're called venomous snakes. They're not called bubble wrap snakes or bumper snakes or friendly bite you snakes or jiggle juice snakes. No, they're venomous snakes where they're going to fuck you up if they bite you. Why take a chance and why follow this nut into believing that everything is fine when you're handling venomous snakes because of the practice of God? It doesn't make any sense to me. Although snake handling developed independently in several Pentecostal ministries, Hensley is generally credited with spreading the custom in the southeastern United States. Although illiterate, he became a licensed minister of the Church of God. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Although illiterate, he became a licensed minister of the Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee in 1915. After traveling through Tennessee for several years conducting Church of God sanctioned services, he resigned from the denomination in 1922. How in the fuck is someone who can't even read is going to be able to read the word of God? Riddle me that, Batman. How, oh how, are you going to say, I can tell you the word of God, (laughs) but I can't read the word of God? What, are you going to open up the Bible and just stare at it? How the fuck are you going to tell people what the word of God is when you can't even read the word of God? Right then and there, people should have realized, hey, man, I don't know about you, but that minister, though, Minister Hanley, hey, I, that fool can't read, but that fool's reading the word of God, but I don't see any pictures in the Bible, so what the fuck is he reading to me? Boy, I tell you. But see, that again, that's, that's, that's where the cult mentality just baffles me it, it it seriously baffles me to the point where i can't wrap my head around how there are clear signs that this dude is a fake he's literally a fraud a fake a phony and a fraud but he still has this following that believe every little thing that he says it, it it's it's mind-boggling i i don't understand it if anybody can help me understand this please let me know graveyardgrumbler at mail.com Graveyard Grumbler Podcast on Instagram. Leave me a note and please share and explain to me why this 
does occur. I, I'm trying to find a book. I mean, there's tons of books. But I specifically want to find one on the cult mentality and how that even comes into fruition. I, I, I want to I know. Let's continue. Hensley was married four times and fathered 13 children. He had many conflicts with his family members because of his, because of his drunkenness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He had many conflicts with his family members because of his drunkenness, frequent travels, and inability to earn steady income. Factors cited by his first three wives as reasons for their divorces. How are you going to preach the word of God saying that the God is almighty? You're the man. I'm the man. Everything is by the word of God, but you can't even go and you can't even go and, and support your family. You can't even go hold, hold down a job because of the word of God doesn't let you or you just lazy. If you're going to be handling snakes, wouldn't you want to turn that into some sort of hustle to where you're, where you're just like, yo, I got this. I got this. Well, I'm going to charge $39.99 or $44.44 in order for you to come watch me handle these snakes, my boy. But no, he decided not to turn a profit because he just would rather use whatever he did in order to continue his, his drunkenness and his poor life as a man. Now, let, let, I mean, I mentioned it before in the past, 100%, that just because you think you're rough and tough and you bang your chest and you are, are, are like that fucking idiot Tim Allen doesn't make you a man. A man doesn't, ma- doesn't matter how misogynistic you are. It doesn't matter how, how tough you are. It doesn't matter how many heads you can knock. That's not a real man. That's an angry bully who needs, to go, who needs a little stuffy and a swaddle so he can calm the fuck down. Make no mistake, a real man takes care of his tribe, take care, takes care of his pack. A real man hunts and feeds and takes care and nourishes and values everyone's mental health and feelings. That's a real man. That's an alpha. How are you going to say that you are the man of God? Ah, God, duh. When you can't even go to work and support your family, you're a fucking bum. That's all you are. But my bad, I got on that. I got off on that rant. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hensley told his children he was from West Virginia and that his family roots were in Pennsylvania. In reality, his family lived in Hawkins County, Tennessee in 1880, the year historian David Kimbrough argues Hensley was born. One of 13 children, Hensley lived in Tennessee in Hawkins County and Loudoun County in the 1880s. This motherfucker old as fuck, born in the 1800s. His family lived in Big Stone Gap, Virginia in the 1890s and where he witnessed an elderly woman handle a snake during a revival service at a coal mining camp. His mother and sisters were very religious and he was reared a Baptist. You know, I was going to look that up, but I got sidetracked. So what I believe reared Baptist is, I mean, that he was pretty much born into the Baptist religion, just raised as a Baptist and and indoctrinated, forced into believing what the Baptist religion is is believed to be. I may be wrong. I may be right. I don't know. I know somebody's going to correct me, Brian. I know somebody will. Somebody somewhere, oh, where, oh, where, will correct me on if I was wrong with that definition or not. But I, I, I encourage it. I, I want you guys to correct me because I don't want to give you guys more false information than what I think I'm already given. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hensley left the Baptist church in 1901, the year he married Amanda Winninger. The couple moved to her brother's 400-acre farm in Ultawa, where they lived in a shack. Hensley worked in the local ore mines, helped, his, helped in his brother-in-law's lumber business, and was involved in making moonshine a common practice in the region. This, think about This was the Prohibition era. This is where the government decided that booze was illegal because of the inability to tax the, the, the proper amount that they felt was appropriate. Yes, I know, I know there was more to prohibition than what I just said. I know this. But that's just to sum it up, 
in a short, quick version of what prohibition was, was about. Hensley experienced a conversation while attending a Holiness Pentecostal Church of God service in Ultawa, led by an evangelistic teenage son. He forsook, <laughs> he forsook alcohol, tobacco, and friendships with those he deemed worldly. So you, you, can't, you can't be worldly anymore. Worldly. I can't even say that word. <laughs> you can't be world, worldly and, ha- and, be, and be friends with, with Hensley because that, you're, you're God. You're not, you're not, you're not the right. You're, you're not right with God. It's just, just, you can't do it. Boy, I tell you. Hensley was the father of eight children with his first wife, Amanda. They separated in 1922. One of their children claimed that the separation occurred after an incident in which Hensley became drunk and fought a neighbor. How are you going to be the man of God, get drunk and get a nuck if you buck outside next to your neighbor? I mean, rumor has it that he had thug life tattooed on his stomach. I'm not, I don't know how true that is. <laughs> no, he didn't have thug life. He had God life tattooed on his stomach when he was getting, when he was nucking, when he was bucking, when he was, <laughs> when he was getting ill with it, when he was getting bowed about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Amanda left the area and found work in a Chattanooga hosiery mill, but soon became ill and bedridden. Hensley's sister and brother-in-law traveled to Chattanooga to care for her. But not Hensley. Hensley didn't do that. Hensley had five children with his second wife, Irene. She was from a prosperous Lutheran family of German descent, but believed that she was suffering a curse. She and her family had hoped that Hensley could free her from the curse, but ultimately felt that he was unable to. Boy, I tell you. How are you going to... Number one, how are you going to think that your kid is cursed? First off, let's go ahead and and chalk that up right there. And number two, how the fuck are you going to have someone else say that they're going to cure you of a curse that you're suffering from when you're not really suffering from a curse? This was the early, this was the late 1800s and the early 1900s. So a lot of backwards ass ridiculous shit was always brought up at the fact of being uneducated. And I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but majority of the people, if not all the people during that time in the South were severely uneducated. You had the very few small, maybe 0.1% that was actually semi-educated. But for the most part, in those times, the South was considered uneducated and stupid. And a lot of the beliefs that we read about and a lot of shit that we see is absolutely true. The marriage was contentious because of Henley's frequent unemployment and poor treatment of Irene. He found intermittent work, including Brick Lane, but Irene's family had to help support them. Her mother provided the family with clothing. God damn. How are you not just going to go to work, man? Just get up, get your ass to work. I mean, look, I was an alcoholic for a lot of years. I drank heavily, but I never missed work. I went to work every single day, drunk, hungover, and sick. I never I never wanted to go to work. I really didn't. But at the same time, if I was a big boy and I put my big boy my big boy pants on at the time and I decided to have a lot more booze than what I'm than what I should have, you better goddamn well believe that I'm going to get my ass up and go to work drunk. That's just the way it was. That's just the way I was and that's how it was going to be. You know, point blank period. After seven years of marriage, Irene left Hensley and returned to her family. Although later she returned to Hensley and reconciled with him. Boy, I tell you, just leave him. He's no good for you. One of their sons recalled that Irene was was much more religious than Hensley, who he claims only spoke about spiritual matters if there were church leaders present. Hensley Hensley was again separated from Irene around 1941. And the truth will set you free. One of their sons recalled that Irene was much more religious than Hensley, 
whom the son claims on, Hensley only spoke about spiritual, spiritual matters if there were church leaders present. He's a fake and a phony, and you should never have laid eyes on him. When are we going to figure, I mean, not we, when, when are the people who, who follow these ridiculous cults, these religious extremists, open their eyes so they can see that nothing is true what the fuck is going on with them? You're being manipulated. You're being bamboozled. Just leave. When when the own kid, when when his own kid is saying, "Yo, homeboy doesn't even talk about church shit unless church people are around." Now we don't we don't even have the Bible in the living room. We have the Bible underneath the table because one of the legs is completely gone. So the Bible was thick enough to level level out the table. Because I was tired of my little juices falling off the table when every time I put them on. And now that we have the Bible holding up the table, everything's all good. We're level. But as soon as the religious folk come around, as soon as spiritual leaders come around, all of a sudden, Hensley's like, and in the name of God, I pick up this rattlesnake and, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. How long have you guys been standing there? Oh, you know, I was just practicing my daily spiritual routine with Jesus, God, and every other holy spirit that I've taken in within my body. Oh, this snake here? Oh, this snake here? Sir Rattle knows. Oh, don't, don't worry about Sir Rattle knows. He's just helping me realize that I have the touch of God. And I'm so embarrassed that you were there standing watching me as I did this. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> the cause of the estrangement is unknown, although one of their sons claimed that she threatened to have him arrested. Goddamn. He was probably beating the shit out of her because he would kept drinking so much. I mean, that, that, what else could it be? She reconciled with him after he promised to find steady employment and they returned to Pineville with their children. Hensley wanted to put their children in an orphanage so Irene could travel with him, but she refused. God, did I just read that right? I know I just did not read what I think I just read. Did I just read that right? Or did, okay, hold on. Let, let's, let's, let's rewind this shit back. She reconciled with him after he promised to find steady employment and they returned to Pineville with their children. All right, here it is. Hensley wanted to put their children in an orphanage so Irene could travel with him. But smartly, she refused. This motherfucker wanted to put his own goddamn kids in an orphanage because he was done. He said, look, man, I'll go get work. But the work, uh, but the work, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that work, though, uh, that, that work doesn't pay me that much. That work doesn't pay me that much. But if we had like, you know, a lot of less kids than what we have now. Like, we can make it, boo. We can make it. Because it's going to be only you that I'm going to spend money on. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. <laughs> what kind of dirtbag says, I'm going to put my, I want to put my kids in an orphanage <laughs> so, so my wife can travel with me. Look, I'm a truck driver. And I've been driving trucks for a long time. Not really that long. I've been driving it for, for about six years now. No, yeah, for six years now. And there's times where I don't want to do local work anymore. I just want to get on the road, just go bump a dock, and that's it. Go drive for another, you know, five, 600 miles a day, and then park and go to sleep in my sleeper. And yes, I want my wife to go with me. I want her to come chill on the road with me, keep me company. We can just, you know, just be, the, be, a, be a circus couple pretty much. Just travel the, just travel the, the, the world or travel the, the states. Going from job to job, from state to state. However, I have kids. I have three beautiful children. 
And not once, not never, not once, ever, not once, have I ever, ever, ever said, hey, baby, hey, boo, check it out, though. What if we put our kids in an orphanage or sell them to the circus and then it'll be me and you on the road forever, forever? If I even thought about saying that and my wife knew that I thought about saying that, I would get stabbed in the neck with a dull stick very hard, very rapidly, and very violently. That is probably one of the most fucked up things you can ever say to a parent. One parent say to another thing. Uh, how about we say, how about we give our kids up to, to an orphanage? <laughs> Boy, I tell you. After a visit from her sister, Irene again left him. She and her children went to live with Hainsley's children from his first marriage. God damn. A divorce was granted in 1943. Irene later died of complications following surgery for a goiter. Hensley attended the wake and visited his children, but departed without them and did not return. Fuck those kids. That fool, that fool is literally, Hensley is literally the definition of fuck those kids. That's what, <laughs> he, he said, look, man, look, my guy, this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to happen right now. Fuck those kids. I'm gone. All you're going to see are ass and souls because I am out this biatch. Giddy up, horsey. Let's go. <laughs> God damn, that fool literally said, fuck them kids, I'm out. <laughs> that, fool said, that, that fool walked up after his kids. He, he said, hey, kids, now you see me? Yeah, now you don't. I'm out. <laughs> Hensley made, met Inez Hutchinson, a widow with 10 children in 1946 while performing a service in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Look, Tennessee, you're going to have to fuck the, you're going to have to fix these fucking names. Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Get the fuck. Who made this shit? A five-year-old? A five-year-old or a little three-year-old? Saudi Daisy, la, 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 la. Oh, Saudi Daisy. I like it. Boom. Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Now that's where we live. What? Saudi Daisy. Number one, why are you? 10 children already? You can't even take care of the ones that you made and you want to jump into a, 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 a relationship with someone who has 10 children already? Get the fuck out of here. After Hensley spoke with her, she accepted the doctrine of snake... What the hell? After Hensley spoke with her, she accepted the doctrine of snake handling. He soon proposed marriage, which she accepted. How are you... How are you going to just flat out say, Hey, uh, you know, you know, you know, I handle, uh, you know, I handle snakes, right? And then the, 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 the future Mrs. Hensley were like, Oh my God, you naughty boy. I, I, I think I can handle a snake too. Wink, wink. And he's a... Uh, what are you talking about? No, I'm talking about this snake. And he pulls out a fucking rattlesnake. I'm talking about I handle this snake, woman. <laughs> Boy, I tell you. They lived in Saudi Daisy area for several months. Although he had hoped that she would travel with him and read Bible passages during his services, she left him after less than a year of marriage and their union was soon dissolved. Yeah, man. I, th I hope you understand that you are the problem. The women aren't the problem. You are the exact problem why this shit is happening. No one wants you because you, number one, you don't work. Number two, you're crazier than a field full of squirrel shit. You know what I mean? You just, just get over it. Just go home, go find a basement, live there forever and don't ever come back. That, that, that's, that's probably the best thing for you to do. In 1951, Hensley married Sally Norman in Chattanooga. After their wedding, she traveled with him as, they, as he ministered in Tennessee and Kentucky. So she found the one. She's the... <laughs> He walked up to her and said, you're the one that I love, who? You're the one that I love, who? He, 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 honey. 
I mean, I don't know if that's a Grease song, but it sounded like it. I felt, I felt it. I felt it in my soul, and I wanted to let it come out. You know, I felt, the, I felt it. It just said, "Hey, you need to sing that right now, my boy." <laughs> so let's get into his ministry. Obviously, he's been yearning to become some sort of minister, some sort of religious advocate, some sort of religious leader, some way, shape, or form. And finally, finally, he gets his his wish, and he beca- and he gets his own ministry. So let's read about that. Let's learn about that. Hensley was initially content following his experience at the Church of God, but he began to question whether he was living a sufficiently righteous life. No, you weren't. You're unemployed. You're you're hopping through women like you change underwear. If you change underwear, you're you're just running through shit like you like you don't have a fucking care in the world. No, you aren't living a righteous life. Not one bit. Not not a once once a bit are you are you living a goddamn righteous life, man? Come on. He became fixated on a passage in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 16, 17, 18 through 18, KJV. I don't know what I don't know what any of that means. And these, and the this is what the quote said. All right. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, they shall take up serpents, which suggests that Christians might take up serpents without injury. Oh, hold on. I fucked all that up. Let me let me let me let me try that again. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall take up serpents. Which that passage suggests that Christians might take up serpents without injury. No, that's not what it's suggesting. What it's suggesting is leave them alone. Do not touch and do not pass go. What? How are you going to even consider that? Oh my gosh. He's telling me to go pick up a rattlesnake with, that has spicy bites. I'm going to pick up that spicy bite snake so I can love it and hug it and it's going to be all mine. No, no, stop. Don't do it. (laughs) Why would you? Oh my gosh. Psychologist Ralph W. Wood and W. Paul Williamson, as well as one of Hensley's children, have proposed that his preoccupation with this verse arose from a childhood memory of witnessing snake handling in Virginia. Well, yeah, he saw that lady do it and he's like, damn, I could do that too. And of course, as a kid, I don't know if it's just me or maybe some kids, but as a kid, whenever I heard the word snake or spider or anything like that, I automatically went to the most deadliest venomous serpent that that existed. The most deadliest venomous spider, the most deadliest venomous scorpion, whatever it was, just because that's the way that I, I thought, you know, so if I saw someone handling a snake, I automatically thought it was a black mamba or, or, or a gabuna viper. I don't know if I said that right. I'm sure my brother's going to correct me on it. And if if I said it wrong, my bad. If I did say it right, good. Then I'm 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 badass. But I'm pretty sure I fucked up the name. But you know, so automatically my my mind went to that. Damn, you see that dude right there? That fool's holding up a fucking Gabuna Viper Cobra. A what? Nah, fool, that's a Gabuna Viper Cobra. A what? Fool, you know what I said, man? It's a Gabuna Viper Cobra, man. And he just has it in his hand. So when when as a kid, I automatically thought that whenever I heard the word snake, that it was automatically the most venomous, deadliest snake. I didn't realize that there was non-venomous snakes for several years until, what, my late elementary years. And if I, I know I'm not the only one, so don't look at me and laugh like, ha, 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 Tino thought that, that there was no, there's no such thing as non-venomous snake. Shut your ass up. Because you know you thought the same thing. <laughs> Hensley later recalled that he began to doubt his salvation and withdrew to a nearby hill to pray and seek God's will. In a 1947 newspaper interview, he claimed to have seen a snake while walking on the hill. He said that he knelt in prayer, took hold of it, then brought it to his church and told the congregation 
to also prove their salvation by holding the snake. Look, man, I understand that when people go out into the desert, go out into the woods, go out into the mountains and have that alone time and that refining themselves. I know that. We know that by a lot of different things of experience. I mean, one of my favorite artists, poets, musicians, Jim Morrison, went and did peyote in the, in the desert. And so because of that, I felt like I needed to take peyote and go sit in, my, in, in the school's, uh, what is that called? The school's softball field. Because I thought that was my desert because I couldn't get to a real desert because my mom wouldn't let me go to a desert. You know, how, how is 17-year-old me going to say, hey, mom, uh, I need you to take me to the desert. For what? So I can just go find myself. Boy, if you don't sit your ass back there and go mow the lawn. <laughs> I would not have been able to get taken out to, uh, to the desert to try to find myself like Jim Morrison or like a lot of these people have done. So my version of that was I went in and, and I, I took some peyote that I, that I received from a Native American friend of mine at the time. And I, I, I took it, drank it in a tea. And well, actually, let me rephrase that. He made the tea for me because I didn't know how to set it up. So he's, he made the tea for me. So I took a little drink of it. I let it, t- I let it set in and I was tripping balls. I don't know if I found myself. I don't know if I saw what I, what I was meant to see because I don't think I was in the right state of mind. But I'll tell you something right now. Now, once have I ever had a vision or someone, even when I was high off of acid, to tell me that I need to pick up this goddamn spicy bite snake and, and take it with me so other people can touch my snaky bite snake. I mean, my spicy bite snake. And number one, I'm pretty sure that if I walked around telling people to hold my, my spicy bite snake, I'm pretty sure I would get hit with sexual harassment. I, I don't know why, but I just have a feeling that that's what have happened to me. <laughs> so let, answer me this. For those of you who are listening to my show right now. Let me know, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, not gmail. It's just at mail.com or graveyardgrumbler podcast on Instagram. Let me know, would you, if someone at your congregation, while you were at church listening to the word of God, (laughs) would you have picked up or held a snake if your pastor, your preacher, or whoever it is that was in charge of your congregation if they walked up to you with a spicy bite snakey, would you grab it to prove your faith and your dedication to the congregation? Let me know. Don't lie to me. Be honest with me. Because I'm telling you right now, if, if, uh, if I was in that situation and homeboy walked up to me with a spicy bite snake, I'm like, look, man, get fucked. I'm out. Deuces. I'm not going to hold a spicy bite snake. It's not going to happen, my boy. Hensley's first experience with snake handling occurred between 1908 and 1914, after which he held snake handling, which he he held snake handling services in parts of rural Tennessee. Of course, it's going to be in rural Tennessee. Why wouldn't it be in Tennessee? His supporters later asserted that a revival broke out at the start of his ministry, a claim considered dubious by historians. At first, the Church of God did not object to his snake handling services, and in 1914, he held a snake handling meeting with a Church of God bishop in Cleveland, Tennessee. So snake handling, I'll get to that. But look, when you see a bunch of people preaching in the word, in the name or the spirit of any religious God out there, any sort, any type of God, I don't care what God you, 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 you want to worship. I don't care. But when you have that group of extremists praising and doing shit that they believe is a direct order or de- in, in this in, in this guy's words a direct command to do some sort of religious practice or some sort of religious ritual 
it's kind of difficult for other religious people to to scrutinize them or to say that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or they should stop it because then they are going against their own word of God that these people are preaching and the, the, the extremists are taking out of context. So yeah, it takes a little while for people to condemn and, and to, you know, wave their finger like, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. That's not what the, that's not what it's about. It's like, you're, you're, you're trying not to be a hypocrite, even though that what they have done is so far out of whack and so far out of left field that it just doesn't work. But again, they, they, it's so hard for them to say, hey, that's a little extreme. Maybe you shouldn't go there because then they're going to be considered hypocrites. So, I mean, I could understand where they kind of just left them alone. Like, hey, you see that pack over there? That pack, just leave them alone. They're, they're, they're on a whole level of different God that isn't, isn't, the, isn't the same as the God that we're talking about. Just, just leave them alone. They're not hurting anybody right now. So, let, so let's just chill. And they shouldn't. They should have condemned that shit before it even started and just shut it down. The next year, Hensley applied to be licensed as a Church of God minister, but required his wife's assistance to complete the paperwork owing to his illiteracy. He had memorized some Bible verses, but also stated that he received divine revelation while speaking. God, why? Why is it that someone who's dumber than a box of rocks on a Sunday night in the middle of the desert is going gonna, is gonna to hide his illiteracy? He's, he's dumb. This dude is dumb. He's he's dumb and and, and not not right. But yet people are gonna are gonna are gonna follow him and praise him because he's saying that he received revelation while speaking. He can't even read the Bible that he's holding in his fucking hand. People have to read it for him, and he has to hear these words so many times so he can memorize it. But yet he's 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 ha- he has this this following. Look, man, there's. There's professional snake handlers that that are handling uh, uh, Eastern Diamondback Cobra Gabuna Viper snakes mixed with a little bit of Green Mamba, all right? These guys are career licensed professionals, and I barely trust them to be around a fucking rat snake, all right? How am I going to trust someone who can't even read Do Not Touch with a goddamn rattlesnake? I, I don't have that confidence in someone and all these other people who were brainwashed by this guy should not have that confidence either. But yet here we are on the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. If you make it on the Graveyard Grumbler podcast, just know that you probably fucked up some way, somehow, and I'm going to put you on blast. <laughs> but I mean, think about it. He, he applied to be, to be licensed as a church of God minister. All right. But he was, he needed help from his wife. He didn't need assistance from his wife. His wife had to complete the paperwork for him completely because he was, because he was illiterate, meaning he couldn't read. So uh, he, he barely was able to read, if at all, anything other than his name. And I think he barely was able to read that. After being licensed, Hensley held Church of God services throughout Tennessee, including revival services at church general assemblies. He preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a Pentecostal teaching that referred to an additional spiritual experience after conversion. Everything is going to be taken out of context. You know what I mean? You have this guy who isn't right. We all know that there's some sort of mental illness. There's some sort of a malfunction in the firing of his synopsis. Not synopsis. Yes, synopsis. I believe so. Brian, correct me. I think it's synopsis. That is causing him to not think clearly, accurately, and properly. And so everything is going to be to an extreme and the words that he believe or the, or, or the phrases 
that that are being taught to him are going to be taken to an extreme because he doesn't know how to process things logically. And for some reason, this this nutbag was able to find a group of individuals who believed similar to what he has, but needed someone to say it out loud so so they don't say it out loud. It's like, wow, this dude is crazier than a pack of wild fucking cats in a bag. I'm just like this guy. I like what he's saying. I'm going to his church. His ministry was often mentioned in Church of God newsletters, and his wife Amanda contributed to an article about him. In the 1910s, Hensley is thought to have led churches in Grasshopper Valley, northwest of Cleveland, Tennessee, Cleveland, and Birchwood, Tennessee. Hensley was short, normally soft-spoken, and friendly with churchgoers. Most attendees at his service were miners or farmers from the Appalachian Mountains. Again, from the if you're a miner or you're a farmer, you're not really considered some of the brightest bulbs in the box. I'm glad times have changed and where it doesn't matter your title. If you're if you're intelligent, you're intelligent. You're not just born or or <laughs> indoctrinated that you're dumb just because you're you do this job. We have we have people who are flipping burgers who are intelligent as fuck. We have people out there farming who are intelligent as fuck. Truck drivers, garbage men, everybody. Except for politicians. Bazinga! Boom, 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 boom. Shots fired, my boy. Let's continue. Congregants typically arrived at services on horseback or in a Model A Ford. Many were from holiness Pentecostal backgrounds, but unfamiliar with the snake handling practice. Well, yeah, the only time they handled snake was to get them out of their goddamn house. They didn't go out and handle it because God told them to. No. Stop it. Hensley's sister, Bertha, who lived in Ohio, was also a licensed minister with the Church of God. In 1922, he conducted services with her in Ohio. Around that time, more articles documenting his ministry were published in the denomination's newsletter, and by the early 1920s, snakes were regularly handled in Church of God services. Number one, I'm not going to say anything about... No, matter of fact, fuck that. Don't handle snakes. It's not safe for them. It, 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 makes them, it gets them riled up. It's abuse. You're bouncing, screaming, and hollering. You're exposing these animals to extremely loud noises. You're, you're getting their, their, their anxiety up, and you're pissing them off, and then you wonder why they keep biting them or why they keep biting people. And then every time they bite, the, every time a snake does its job and protects itself and bites it, the snake gets fucking killed because it was doing what snakes do. If you're going to handle a, a, a snake, why don't you go get one from Build-A-Bear? Go get one of those stuffies and say, oh, look, here's my snake. Leave real snakes out of it. Stop handling them. In 1922, Hensley resigned from the Church of God, citing trouble in the home. His resignation marked the zenith of the practice of snake handling in the denomination. He separated from Amanda during this time, possibly due to his temper and drunkenness. How are you going to say that you that you you forebode, you you gave up, and no longer no longer dipping into the devil's drinking juice, the devil's sweat? And now you're you're on your like 13th marriage already. No, it's not 13. But you're already on on marriage number four or five, and you can't stop drinking. It's because you're a fucking dirtbag, man. That's why. Stop it. You're 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 an embarrassment, man. You're talking about this is the word of God, and you've been you've been dumping wives like you dump buckets of water. The fuck out of here. Arrested on moonshine-related charges in 1923, he was sentenced to four months in jail and fined one hundred dollars. This occurred during the Prohibition era when alcohol production and consumption were illegal in the U.S. In lieu of jail time, he was permitted to serve the sentence at Silverdale Workhouse. How are you going to get out? You're, you're going to go just because you, you're, you're a minister or because of whatever it is? $100. Remember, 
$100 back in that time was a shitload of money because of the times of the troubling times, uh, the Great Depression era, and all that other negative shit. It was a bad time. So $100 was a lot of money for a lot of people. He was initially placed on a chain gang constructing roads, but the guards found him likable and gave him other assignments. After being sent to a nearby well for water, Hensley fled and evaded recapture, possibly by hiding in the mountains near his sister's farm in Ultawa. While a fugitive, he may have been arrested and released on unrelated charges. He ultimately fled to <laughs> he ultimately fled Tennessee to his sister's house in Ohio. How are you going to get caught and then let go even though you were a fugitive from a workhouse? You were on a chain gang, you escaped, and then you're going to get caught and they're like, oh no, man, don't worry about it. You may go. Obviously, he wasn't that important. If they didn't want him recaptured, they'd just let him go. Oh, no, he's fine. Let him go, boss. Don't worry about it. Boy, I tell you. After arriving in Ohio, Hensley returned to his personal ministry and held services in the area. Because he was illiterate, Bertha would read passages from the Bible during services, after which Hensley would deliver a sermon on a theme drawn from the verses. <laughs> How does Fu going to freestyle a Bible verse because he can't read the Bible verse he wants to, he wants to preach about? So his sister has to say, well, Psalms 36, 18, we are going to, and then she says the Bible verse, and he's all, and on top of that, God came down to heaven, and he blessed me. Wait, what was that again? Say that again. Oh, okay, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then Jesus blessed you, a chew. Amen. <laughs> Look, I know, I know I'm making fun of religion. I don't mean it maliciously. I'm just having fun with the episode. If, if I've offended you, I kind of apologize, but you already know how my podcast rolls. I, I pretty much just roll with the jokes. So, but thank you for listening. <laughs> but I mean, think about it. How are, how are you going to have, how are you going to follow someone who can't even read what they want to preach and they have to let somebody else read it first and then they're going to spit their own, their own uh, version of it? You see what I mean about how it's difficult for someone to believe what the word of God really is when other people are putting their own three cents into it. You know what I mean? He also frequently preached on the topic of faith healing during this period. He remained in Ohio for several years, several years after divorcing Amanda in 1926. While ministering at a Salvation Army church in Ohio in 1926, Hensley met Irene Klutzinger. He married her in 1927, although he was about 25 years her senior. Stop it. Stop. Just don't do it. After the wedding, they moved to Washingtonville, Ohio, near one of Hensley's brothers. There, Hensley found employment at a coal mine, and Irene gave birth to their first child. They later moved to nearby Malvern, Ohio, where she bore their second child. In 1932, Hensley and his family moved to Pineville, Kentucky, after a religious layman who had seen Hensley handle snakes in Chattanooga entreated him to come to the area. He said, look, man, I like the way you handle snakes. Why don't you come out here to Kentucky and handle more of these snakes? You know what I mean? <laughs> he returned to ministry and built the Pineville Church of God. Hensley established a church himself and characterized it as a free Pentecostal church. He continued to move frequently, a practice which Thomas Burton of East Tennessee State University attributes to wanderlust. In July 1935, Irene gave birth to a child in Pennington Gap, Virginia, and a month later, they were living in St. Charles, Virginia, while Hensley performed snake handling services in the area. You know, why travel so much? I understand, I mean, the way that I think about it, okay, I, 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 might, I might be wrong. Maybe you can help me out. Maybe I'm not thinking right. But what I get from this is that this dude keeps jumping from place to place, not to monopolize his, his following, which he could have easily monopolized. I mean, giving a buck here, 50 cents there, 
you know, just whatever they can give, like churches do now, he would have been able to monopolize and make himself a pretty decent living. What I'm thinking is that he didn't want to stay in one place for too long for fear that someone might discover that he was a fake, a phony, and didn't want to ruin his name that he was establishing. Am I right or am I wrong? If I'm wrong, let me know. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com, graveyardgrumblerpodcast on Instagram. But I think I'm right on this one for once. I actually think that he kept moving around because he did not want to ruin his good name. I might be wrong. I don't know. Let's continue. He successfully drew crowds to his preaching. In Norton, Virginia, 500 people attended an event, although that service was thrown into disarray after a boy in the audience killed one of the snakes. God damn. In 1936, Hensley built a house on the back of a trailer truck and drove to Florida to hold revival services. How's that boy just going to kill a snake like that? Who said, fuck the snake? By March 1936, he had reached Tampa, Florida, where he drew over 100 people to a snake handling service. He traveled to Bartow, Florida, where over 700 people attended one of his tent meetings. Think about it. A dollar, just a dollar each, that's $700 in one day. That's more than enough to be successful in the, in, the tw- in the 20s and 30s. I mean, just a dollar a day. We all heard that before. He subsequently ministered in Bloomingdale, Florida, before traveling north to Barrow County, Georgia, in late April. During a service in Barrow, a young agriculture worker was bitten by a snake and became ill. Yeah, you're messing with spicy bite snakes. Of course you're going to get bit, and of course you're going to get ill. You're going to get fucked up by them, and it's not going to be good. Stop it. Hensley spoke to reporters and claimed that the man was bitten because he was not quite ready for the demonstrations of power. Shut your dumb ass, boy, I tell you. How are you going to how are you going to victim blame someone? Dude, even though you're handling venomous snakes, the ones that can bite you and and make your face rot off because of the venom in their bite, you got bit because you weren't ready for the demonstration of power. It's your fault why you got bit by the spicy bite snake. No. It's not. It, he got bit by the, by the spicy bite snake because you shouldn't be handling them, number one. Number two, just revert back to number one, all right? You don't need to be handling sna- uh, spicy bite snakes because you think that God told you to. Look, man, I know God tells you a lot of things, not you guys personally, but in general. God says a lot of things, and this time God is not right to tell you to handle spicy bite snakes, so don't do it, ever, unless you're a trained professional. And I mean like a super trained professional. He predicted that the young man would miraculously recover, but the man... (laughs) Hold on, hold on. I didn't mean to laugh. Hold on, pause. (laughs) Let me me get my bearing back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let me reread that because I just started dying as soon as I I read it. He (laughs) Hensley predicted that the young man would miraculously recover, but the man died. Of course he died. He just got bit by a venomous snake. This is a venomous snake. I mean, I don't know how many different ways I need to say it, but the way that I'm saying it. He got fucked up by a spicy bite snake. Of course he was going to die. This was the first death by snake bite to occur at one of Hensley's services. He conducted the man's funeral and left the area for fear of prosecution. His his conduct was condemned by by a local newspaper. Finally, they're starting to condemn this guy. It took how many how many things to happen? And I mean, don't, don't forget that he claims that he was bit by over 400 times and survived each and every one of them. But this one kid gets bit by a spicy bite snake and he dies. And Hensley's like, check it out, man. I'll go ahead and uh, 
I'll go ahead and speak at, 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 the, at this kid's funeral, but after this, I'm out, deuces, because God's calling me to somewhere else. So, so I, I, I have to head out. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not because I'm worried about getting, getting locked up. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just, it's just because my, my job here is done and my services are required in somewhere else. So that's where I'm going to go. I appreciate it. I'm out. And he, he backed up and left. <laughs> he avoided a 187 charge because of uh, he, he took off. Boy, I tell you. Hensley traveled to Ohio to bring one of his sons to live with a sister of Irene while attending school. Hensley then returned to Pineville, where he worked as a railroad conductor and pastored the East Pineville Church of God. He was arrested for handling snakes and moved to Knoxville, Tennessee in 1939. He subsequently bought a farm near Knoxville. It's illegal to handle venomous snakes in a lot of states, a lot of counties, and a lot of areas. It, it really is, especially for exhibition religious purposes. It You have to have, I mean, a shitload of permits in order just to have a venomous snake in your presence. So he should have been arrested a long time ago. So you know, let me let me get into a little bit of snake handling here. I, I know I kind of uh, gotten off the beaten path, but I want to fill you in on what the what snake handling is consistent. I know that you think, look, look, grumbler, it's it's snake handling. I handle the snake and then I put it down. That's it. I'm a snake handler. No, it's way more twisted than that. That version is the version that everybody should understand and not touch spicy bite snakes. Everyone should know that. But, but. Let me read you this. Let, let, me, let, me, let me get into this here a little bit. Snake handling was an outgrowth of the Azusa Street Revival. In 1910, after reading in Mark 16, 18, saying, quote, they shall take up serpents and it shall not hurt them. Former bootlegger George Went Hensley, a.k.a. Little George, took a rattlesnake box into the pulpit. He reached in and lifted out the venomous viper, showing his faith to take God at his word. He then challenged his congregation to do the same. No, don't do the same. Just stop it. News spread throughout the hills of Grasshopper Valley in southeastern Tennessee. Before long, others joined in the handling of rattlers. The practice continued for 10 years until one of the faithful died of a snake bite. Hensley moved to Harlan, Kentucky. That's the one where a boy said, look, man, this, ah, I got bit. Ah, spicy bite. Ah, I feel, I don't feel good. And Hensley's like, don't worry about it, my boy. I feel that the word of God ah, is going to heal you and you're going to miraculously recover. And then he died. And then Hensley said, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> In 1928, the Church of God in Prophecy revoked Hensley's license to preach and forbade all his members from further handling of snakes, which you should. You shouldn't handle vipers, rattlers, or any sort of venomous snakes at all. Just don't do it. Snake handling did not return to Grasshopper Valley until 1943 when Raymond Hayes, one of Hensley's converts, conducted a revival there. The outcome was the founding of Dolly Pond Church of God with signs following, located on the spot of the first snake handling service. Dolly Pond Church is considered a hollowed site. There were approximately 2,500 snake handlers in America in the early 1940s. When deaths from snake bites became prevalent, state legislators passed laws which forbade the taking up of snakes in religious services, which you should. You should. You know why? Because snakes are, are, are wild animals, all right? Especially spicy bite snakes, all right? Spicy bite snakes are very very anxious and very on edge. Number one, they don't have any arms to throw pippity paps. You know what I mean? Number two, they don't have legs to run. So I would be pissed off and angry and always on the defense if I didn't have any arms or legs to run. You know? Think about that. Think about it. Put your, tuck your arms on the side, put your legs together and lay on the ground and then try to run. Do it. Do it. Go ahead. I'll wait. 
No, you can't run? Yeah, wouldn't you try to bite the fuck out of someone who came at you? Exactly. <laughs> but think, I mean, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have to tell someone not to stress out a wild animal. You shouldn't have to tell somebody that. Solely based on the fact that you're going to get fucked up. Let's continue. Despite the new statutes, snake handling persisted. Between 1936 19, through 1973, 35 people died from poisonous bites. From 1936 to 1973, 35 people died from poisonous bites. Well, come on now. I can't say that they didn't have it coming to them, but they, they had it coming to them, if you know what I mean. A typical snake handling meeting usually consists of songs of worship and preaching. The front of the church beyond the altar is designated area for handling snakes. You're going to have music. You're going to have people screaming, singing, doing all this crazy shit when you're going to have a spicy bite snake in your hand getting pissed off. They're anxious. Loud noises scare them. So yeah, you're going to get bit, man. I'm surprised it's only 35 people that died in that time. I, I really am. Many participants bring their own boxes containing rattlers, copperheads, or cobras. The snakes are symbolic of Satan, Genesis 3.15, Luke 10.19. One demonstrates his power and authority over the enemy by picking up snakes. Fuck you. Leave them alone. Why would you bring copperheads, rattlers, and cobras? You, you just don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Kids, do not try this at home. Do not think that you're the prophet of Jesus or the prophet of God and go pick up a goddamn spicy bite snake. Don't do it. Leave them alone. As the service progresses and the anointing flows, those receiving the, the unction open the box lids and lift the snakes high into the air until they get bit in the fucking face. <laughs> Some practitioners hold several snakes at a time, allowing them to slither and wrap themselves around their bodies. Usually the snake handling members slip into altered states of... Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me... Hold on. I, I'm, I apologize for that. Let me get my bearing. I'm back. Usually the snake handling members slip into altered states of consciousness during such episodes. That means they're just, they're just on a whole different level. A whole different level. Their eyes roll back and they twirl or dance in the spirit and speak in tongues. However, not all, <laughs> however, not all are expected to handle snakes. Only the anointed. <laughs> only the dumb ones who are crazy enough to go grab the snakes are the only ones allowed to hold the snakes. Pretty much. Besides the handling of serpents, many congregations encourage the drinking of poison during the worship service. They base their beliefs on Mark 16, 18, saying, quote, and if they drink any deadly thing, it should not hurt them. The most common substance used is strychnine. Get the, shut up. Why? Did I just read that right? Hold on. Let, let, me, let, me, let me rewind this shit one time because I think I just read something that I don't think I just read. Besides the handling of serpents, Many congregations encourage the drinking of poison during the worship service. They base their beliefs on Mark 16, 18, where the passage says, quote, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, end quote. The most common substance used is strychnine. Strychnine is very poisonous. Strychnine is deadly. Extremely deadly. And you're telling me these half of meatballs here without any brains are going to fucking drink it? They're going to drink poison because the because Mark 16, 18 said, man, fuck Mark. I don't even know who Mark is. And you're not going to tell me to go drink poison, man. How are you? Okay. I don't fuck my whole throat up right now. So let, let me, let me, let me get back. Let me, let me get back. 
why is Mark telling you to go drink poison? Number one. And number two, why are you listening to Mark telling you to go drink poison? Do you, do you understand why the cult mentality fascinates me so much? The, the thought that these people literally take what's written out of context and put it to the most extreme version that they can think of and then wonder why they died from doing the most extreme shit. It, it, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Maybe somebody can clear it up for me. Let's continue. When a person is bitten in a religious ceremony, it can signify one of five things. One, that the person has... Oh my gosh. Hold on. This is, shit. This is unbelievable to me. I, I can't believe that I'm actually reading this shit to you guys. When a person is bitten in a religious ceremony, it can signify one of five things. One, that the person has sin in his or her life. If discovered to be the case, the faithful men members shun the sinners. Number two, that the person handled the snake without being under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Since God promises no protection to the unanointed, snakes are prone to bite them. Number three, that the person lacks the faith to handle the serpent. Handling snakes without faith is presumption. Number four, that God is testing the handlers to see if they will deny the faith when they are bitten. What, what do you mean deny the faith? You mean, am I going to deny medical treatment? Am I going to deny the, the venom kit? No, I get bit by a spicy bite snake. Guess what? Call 911, call 999 emergency, and we're going to get it. Hook me up with that anti-venom, coach. I'm not going to let no spicy bite snake fuck me up. I don't care in the name of who. I don't care if Mark told me or not. I don't even know Mark. Fuck that fool. And number five, that God is a healer. One of the ways to know this is for him to heal the victim of a venomous snake bite. Look, there was one case that I heard, the, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, where this extremely religious couple had a child. And the child was extremely sick, deathly ill. I believe that the kid was malnourished. And they never took him, they never took the kid. The kid was young. The kid was like two or three years old. The kid was never taken to seek medical services. Instead, they sat around him and prayed to God to heal their son. They prayed and they prayed. Well, their kid died. Their kid died because obviously God didn't answer the prayer. And when, when they asked why God didn't heal their son, their answer was something, something of the, of, of the, in, the, in the words or something like, because God really wanted him as an angel. And so he was needed more than what we needed our son. Of course, they were charged. They, they were sent to life without prison for murdering their kid. You know, it was, it was, it was manslaughter, number one. And number two, it was neglect. It was child neglect. It was child abuse. And so, yeah, they were, they were sentenced to life in prison. And then they're going to cry and wonder why they, they, they got sentenced to life for murdering their son. It, 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 it's crazy to me that people have such an extreme way of thinking that they're willing to die based off of what they believe. Is translated to them. Let's continue. 
In each case, the embedded poisonous fangs reveal something about the handler of God. Snake handling churches in America probably number in the low hundreds. They are mainly located in Kentucky and Tennessee, but also have congregations in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, the Carolinas, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, and Texas. Uh, Of course, fucking Texas. Of course. Of course, it's going to be Texas. Why wouldn't it be Texas? But did you see the trend there? Did did you see the the commonality there? Did you see what, what, what they all had in common except for one state? Let me read, let me read you those states again. And if anybody can guess it, shoot me a message. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Instagram. But but let, let me know what you know, the what what what, what the commonalities. What, what's the common denominator here? They are mainly located in Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, the Carolinas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Texas. Let me know what you think. I mean, I already mentioned it earlier before, but boy, I tell you. Each church is autonomous, but many people travel between churches in a 50 to 60 mile radius to share in multiple snake handling experiences. Approximately 5,000 people actively practice ceremonial snake handling. Periodically, the masses gather for a conference called a homecoming to take up serpents in each service. Fucking crazy. Crazy. Snake handling churches embrace the oneness Pentecostal doctrines, including baptism in the name of Jesus, baptism for for remission of sins, the giving of the Holy Ghost subsequent to baptism, and speaking in tongues as the evidence of salvation. Crazy. It's all all insane. I, I I don't doubt, I don't doubt at all that shit like that, there's some religious upliftment and and there's some spiritual foundation there. I I don't doubt that. But the extreme of this is not believable to me. Additionally, they call upon their members to practice holiness in dress and demeanor. Women cannot wear slacks or cut their hair. Members greet each other of the same sex with a holy kiss. They rarely go to doctors or take medicine. Members greet each other of the same sex with a holy kiss. Hmm. I'll, I'll let you guys believe what you want to believe. I thought in the Bible, supposedly, allegedly, it says you're not supposed to do that shit, which is a lie, by the way. But the, they greet each other, the same sex greet each other with a holy kiss. The fuck out of here. This is the end of his of, of uh, Hensley's ministry. Obviously, all good things come to an end, and in this case, it did. So let, let's find out why. Hensley lived in Tennessee until at least late 1941. He then moved to Evansville, Indiana after separating from Irene. After a brief stay in Pineville, Hensley returned to Ultawa in 1943. There he stayed with family members and held religious services. Snake handling had lost popularity since the late 1920s and groups that promoted non-Trinitarianism had become popular. Various churches in the area barred those who practiced snake handling for membership. Well, yeah, it's dangerous and it's insane. In 1943, Raymond Hayes, a young adherent of Hensley's teachings, arrived in Ultawa area and began successfully preaching about snake handling. Hensley and Hayes started a church together in 1945, which they named the Dolly Pond Church of God with signs. The following. Later in 1945, a member of the church was bitten by a snake and died again. That was another person. Boy, I tell you. The members of the church continued to handle snakes and services, including at the funeral of the man who died from snake bite. The man's death was viewed as ordained by God to test the faith of the congregants <laughs> and to demonstrate to non-believers that the snakes they handled were in fact dangerous. No, how do you, 
What do you mean non-believers? Non-believers know that the snakes are dangerous. The non-believers know that you're handling spicy bite snakes. And you know they know that if you get fucked up, you're going to die. It's only the believers of your congregation that doesn't believe that these are that spicy bite snakes are dangerous. You didn't have to, you didn't have to convince non-believers, my guy. You, you didn't, you did not have to convince non-believers at all. We already know. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to convince anybody who isn't part of your congregation that spicy bite snakes are dangerous. And number two, if I was the family of the person who died, if like that was if that was my brother, if Chewbox got was in this insane congregation. And he got taken out by a spicy bite snake. And then these people came and tried to demonstrate more with spicy bite snakes. I would have thrown some paws at him. They would have got some pippity pass and they would have got their ass out of there. How are you going to mock my brother after getting, after getting bit by one, by one of the snakes during your services? And you're going to come and do that shit again around our family. Do what that service is. It doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to bet. <laughs> trying. It was to demonstrate to non-believers that the snakes they handled were in fact dangerous. Yeah, they were. Boy, I tell you. That year, Hensley was arrested for snake handling in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was given a $50 fine, which he refused to pay, even when threatened with a workhouse sentence. He was released after members of his church appealed to authorities. Come on now. Hensley continued to travel around Tennessee, receiving a mixed reception from those who were aware of his past. Some who knew him were willing to forgive him and welcome him back in ministerial role. But he remained estranged from most of his family. His son, Roscoe, saw him preach in 1944. The younger Hensley was also a pastor by then, but had never seen his father conduct a service. In 1946, Hensley married for the third time, but his wife, Inez Hutchinson, left him after less than a year of marriage. After their separation, Hensley began to preach in Chattanooga. During services, he began asserting that he had been miraculously healed after being paralyzed for a year following a coal mining accident. Kimbrough disputes his claim, noting that there is no one-year gap in the records of Hensley moving or actively ministering. Hensley continued to live in Chattanooga until the early 1950s. He moved to Athens, Georgia in the early to mid-1950s. This guy just got away. He didn't want to be stuck in one spot because he didn't want to get caught. That's the bottom line. So here's the sad. Oh, that way, that's the, that's the president song, my bad. Well, I can never get that right. Anyway, insert the death song right here, okay? I don't know the death song. I'm not a jukebox, but I just called on to the president right now. The president is taking stage because I don't know the death song. All right. Don't come at me, bro. <laughs> the death of a prophet. Our, our prophet has died. The, the one who has been, who's been anointed and, and given the power to handle spicy bite snakes is no longer alive. Are you surprised? I am. I am shocked by these, by this outcome and the news that I am going to read. In early July 1955, Hensley began a series of meetings near Alpha, Alpha, Florida. He conducted the meetings without snakes for three weeks before procuring a five-foot snake and bringing it to a Sunday afternoon service on July 24th. Several dozen people gathered at an abandoned blacksmith shop for the observance. Now, now think about it, okay? L- l- let me tell you this. This dude brought a five-foot snake. Five foot. Look, I'm 5'9". So take nine inches off. Find one of your kids that are just five foot and look at it, and that's how long the fucking snake was. Come on now. It doesn't make any sense. During the service, Hensley loudly delivered a sermon on the topic of faith. He removed the snake from the lard can in which it was stored, wrapped it around his neck, and rubbed it on his face. He walked around the audience while preaching and then returned the snake to the can. Come on now. 
Why, why would you grab the spicy bite snake and wrap it around you and then rub its junk all over your face? Do you know that snakes piss all over the place? And when they get scared or, or, or anything, they're, they're threatened, they just start pissing everywhere? Did you know that? As he placed the snake into the can, it bit him on his wrist. After a few minutes, Henny... <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I mean to laugh. Hold on. This, this episode has got me all sorts of all fucked up on, 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 different, on different aspects of it. It's hard for me to keep my composure when I read this shit. Let me try it again. As he placed the snake into the can, it bit him on his wrist. After a few minutes, Hensley became visibly ill, experiencing severe pain, a discolored arm, and hematemesis. I don't know. Idea what, let's find out what hematemesis is. So, hematemesis is the vomiting of blood. Why did you just say the vomiting of blood? Why do, why do you try to get all, all, all medical on me right now, man? After he got bit by the snake, obviously he became very ill. He experienced severe pain because it got, he got bit by a spicy bite snake. His arm was discolored, and he started vomiting blood within minutes of being bit by a five-foot spicy bite snake, a rattlesnake, some sort of viper. Some sort of viper fucked him up, and within minutes, he was already dying. Well, yeah. He refused medical attention, although he remained in pain and was urged to seek treatment by, both by congregants and the Calhoun County Sheriff. One eyewitness claimed that Hensley attributed his suffering to the congregation's lack of faith, although his wife Sally stated that she believed it was the will of God. Hensley died early the next morning. Calhoun County Judge Hannah Gaskin ruled his death as a suicide. I agree with that. And stupidity. How are you going to blame other people for you dying after getting bit by a five-foot spicy bite snake? How are you going to turn around and say, I'm dying because yous... Y'alls don't believe in God. God isn't in your soul. So I'm dying because of your lack of faith. How are you, how are you gonna blame the how are you gonna blame your congregation for you getting bit by a viper, by a rattlesnake, by a goddamn Kabuna viper cobra? How are you gonna blame other people for your stupidity? No, again, the cult mentality fascinates me so much. I it, it oh my gosh, it's crazy. Literally crazy. His wife believed. Well, why didn't he survive if his wife believed, right? Right. No, he died because he got bit by a spicy bite snake. A five-foot one at that. Big-ass motherfucker. Hensley's relatives traveled from Tennessee to Florida for his funeral, at which a country music band played. He was buried two days after his death at a cemetery two miles from the blacksmith shop where he was bitten. After the funeral, some of the congregants met and declared their intention to continue handling snakes. Sally resolved to continue spreading her late husband's teaching, saying after the incident that she had not lost an ounce of faith, even though your husband got, fit, got fucked up by a spicy bite snake. You're, you're still not going to understand that you shouldn't be handling Gabuna Viper Cobra snakes. Not one. Not, not once. Gabuna Viper Cobras, you're, you're just going to keep fucking with them? Really? You're just going to keep fucking around with them? Jesus, Christmas trees in June. Hensley's theology. So his thoughts and beliefs. Let's, let's, let's get in touch just a little bit with his thoughts and beliefs. He, we didn't really speak too much on it. So let's let's uh let's let's start let, let's just uh talk a little bit about it. Let me let me see what he says. Hensley's theology, with the exception of his snake handling, was typical of other fundamentalist Pentecostal churches. His teachings on personal holiness bore a resemblance to doctrines of the Wesleyan holiness tradition. In his sermons, he condemned a number of practices as sinful, including gambling, consuming alcohol, wearing lipstick, and playing baseball. 
How the fuck is playing baseball a sin? How are you going to condemn? How are you going to condemn someone for playing ball? How are you going to contem- condemn a woman wearing lipstick? Really? Gambling, I understand. Consuming alcohol, okay. But a sinful practice is wearing lipstick and playing baseball. God, maybe he sucked at sports. <laughs> he he sucked at sports, so he uh <laughs> he, he was mad at everyone else who could play baseball. The 17th and 18th verses in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark, the longer ending of disputed authenticity, form the core of Hensley's justification of snake handling and other miraculous activities. He also drank poison in some services, including strychnine and battery acid. You're just going to fuck your whole body up. You're like, fuck it, I'm just going to drink all this shit right now, right here. Let's just get it. He interpreted the passage as a command rather than an observation of events that occurred in the lives of some apostles as Christians have traditionally interpreted the verses. By handling snakes, he saw himself as part of a continued tradition that originated in a New Testament injunction. See, extreme. He took it way out of context and died because of it. He died by his own belief in religions. I mean, he, people are going to think that he's a fucking martyr. He, like, he was a martyr because he died getting bit by a spicy bite snake. It's insane. And then they're going to continue doing it and make it even stronger and more realistic for that cult. He upheld the ability to handle venomous snakes without harm as proof of salvation and evidence of steadfast faith, linking the practice to speaking in tongues. To him, snake handling was a modern day confirmation of God's power to supernaturally deliver people from harm. No, you were just lucky. Every, everybody is lucky once or twice. In your case, you were lucky several times and then you finally got fucked up. It, it, it's, not, it's not realistic, man. You're taking it, you took it to the extreme and you, played, you, pay, you paid the price. He often cast snakes as representation of the devil and interpreted the legal difficulties he encountered as religious persecution. He labeled those who rejected the, observ- the observance of snake handling unbelievers. No, it's not. They just knew that you shouldn't be fucking around with snakes because spicy bite snakes are going to fuck you up. You don't go around grabbing a goddamn spicy bite Gabuna Viper Cobra and think that it's going to be your homeboy and you're going to be able to treat it the way you want. It's not going to happen. Graveyard Grumbler's final wrap. Let, let's wrap this show up. Let, let's, 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 let's wrap this little episode up. I, unfortunately, I don't have any audio from this. They didn't have any audio from the 1940s and 1920s and 30s, which kind of, su- kind of sucks. I would love to have heard him during one of his sermons, but I couldn't find any, so my bad. Bottom line, do not handle spicy bite snakes. Do not touch them. Don't look at them. Don't think about touching them, all right? If you find one in your yard, call a professional and don't touch it. You might get lucky once or twice, but you're going to get fucked up. It's going to get you. You're going to be in a lot of pain. You might die unless you, re- unless you go get medical service. But snake handling isn't something to do if you're not a professional. These guys who do this shit for churches are only lucky most of the time. And eventually they're going to get bit and eventually they're going to die. So don't do it. The cult mentality, this, is, this guy 100% created a cult. There's no doubt about it. What he did was very cult-like. What he, what he wanted to do was very cult-like, and he succeeded. And now he's going down as one of the most holy individuals, a martyr, if you will, in that whole Pentecostal extreme, extreme extremist views. Don't do it. If you believe in God, hey, don't be an extremist about it. Believe in God the way that you feel is appropriate. Don't go out drinking battery acid and fucking strychnine. Don't go handle snakes thinking that you're the chosen one and you get bit by a, by, uh, by a spicy bite snake and then you fucking die. Don't do it. I don't want any of my listeners to die. I don't. So don't touch spicy bite snakes. 
If you see a goddamn rattlesnake, gabuna, viper, cobra, leave it alone. Just don't touch it. Walk away, go the other way, call help, and just don't touch it. We're going to end the show there. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I'm still working on the, I'm still finding all, of, all the information that I did for the, for the uh, Patreon. Again, the, the, the website that had all my infos was taken down. So now I'm, I'm piecing it together. It's going to be a long ass episode. So be prepared for that dropping next week. And other than that, I appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate each and every one of you. Goddamn, can't even speak now. Does that consider me speaking in tongues? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Other than that, go share my, my podcast. Just send it to people and say, listen to this. Just, just share it. Just, just send them to them. And if they get mad at you, say, my bad. I thought I sent it to somebody else. All right? Other than that, thank you each and every one of you for tuning in week after week. I, I thank you very much. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Yeah, which is the end. Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard Podcast. Grumbler.